I would like to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We are in the middle of quite a few decisions, and we will remain that way, right? Because at no point can this church ever go on autopilot and be successful. We have to be um, looking for where the Spirit is leading this church, for where God would have us to go. And it can never be just in one direction, set it and forget it, never change, uh, we have to be sensitive. Where does God want us to go? What does God want us to do? How does God want us to behave? What does God want us to do with what we have been given? We're going to look at that a little bit this morning. Finishing up our, our theme, everyone, everyone, I think you would agree with this. I hope you would agree with this. Everyone deserves to hear the gospel at least once. I know I'm thankful that I did. I would probably put about three zeros in front of that once, in my case. That's a thousand. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 8. I would like to kind of give you a little um, primer maybe on what is happening here in this letter. As you know, an epistle is a letter. It's a letter written under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to a church, mostly, this one is definitely to a church, a church in a town called Corinth, a city, a pretty major city. This was really actually a very gifted um, church. In other words, they had kind of more than their fair share of blessings of the Lord. And we're not just talking, I know we automatically think money when I say that, but that's, that's not how God thinks. Um, God, that's, that's our humanity stepping in. God actually gives many things that are way more valuable than money to him. And this church had many of them. And as a result, they had great responsibility. We're not in Corinth. And I hope that some of the things that were going on in this church are not going on in this church. I don't think they are. Um, but on the positive side of that, I believe God as well has gifted our church, gifted this body with things that are out of the norm. You know, we had, we had two men come this week. And this is not about getting compliments, okay? But I just want you to know that those men noticed something different in our church. Those men noticed, number one, there's an inordinate amount of male leadership in our church. By the way, that's the way it's supposed to be. But it's not normal. It's not normal in Christianity. Many times, and God bless them for it, the women are the spiritual leaders and they rise to the top and there's a few men sprinkled throughout. Our church isn't like that. I would say I applaud you for that, but it doesn't have anything to do with you, other than the fact that you obeyed. This is the way it's supposed to be. You know, somebody, somebody told me um, a few months back <laughs> that they were impressed um, that, our, that our youth group studies the Bible. <laughs> the sadness of that statement is it makes me laugh, and it's not because it's funny. It's because I told him this, I said, I can't take any credit for that. That's just even sad that you're even saying that's a compliment. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And there are some things that God has brought us along and led us and placed us in areas, not just with gifts that he's given you, but with foundations that have been built throughout the years that we want to continue to build on those things, but not build on foundations that can, 
can never be updated or remodeled. We want to keep moving forward and for this church to be what God would have it to be, for you and I to be what God would have us to be in the future. Today, today, I would like us to consider what we, what you, what I would do with what God has given us right now. Right now. We're talking about, uh, I've just entitled this The Grace of Giving. You heard probably this term flown around in Christianity because we live in America and there's a lot of talk about Christian type things. Grace giving, you might have heard that. I don't know exactly what they mean by that and it might be different with different people. But that's definitely a theme in this passage. And so you're going to see that. My title, Grace Giving, may not mean the same as somebody else's. I don't know what they mean by it. But we're just going to look at what the Bible says about it right here this morning. Okay? Can we just do that and just cut through all the fat and cut through all the opinion and just see what God says about it? And I would like you to ask you internally, I'd like you to ask yourself, how does giving fit into my life? Like, what, what part of my life does giving um, possess? I think it's probably a fair statement. If we, if we took like an internal poll today and we asked everybody what they thought was like the best, the best part of going to church or the best part of being a Christian, we get a whole a variety of, of probably good answers. I was arrested to the fact this week that probably giving to God would not be at the top of my list. I wouldn't say it was a bad thing. I don't know it would be top priority. A lot of cool things I love about church, right? Offering time. I don't know. I mean, it's good. I should do it. But is that something I really enjoy? Something I really want to do more of? Something I want to be heavily involved in? And we just think that's just our finances. Then take that even further into our time and our abilities and our possessions and, and just the gifts that God has given us so much that we are stewards of as followers of Jesus Christ. It ought to be, and you'll see that here, something that we enjoy something that we do intentionally and look forward to and try to grow and excel in every, every day, every week, every month, whatever time schedule you want to put on that. We're here in, in the city of receiving this letter. If you were reading it from the Apostle Paul, you'd be in this, in this town, in this church. It's in an area of ancient biblical times uh, surrounding the Mediterranean Sea. It's where much of the New Testament takes place. Down there in the blue circle is where Jerusalem is, land of Israel. If you head up north there and then over to the west, you have Asia Minor. And then many of the church plants that you hear about the Apostle Paul planting as churches and Christianity spread throughout the known world at that time. It's really up in the Roman Empire area of things. And what we're reading today is written to and about churches that are up in that red rectangle. It's a little bit cut off there. Yeah, yours is too. Um, a little bit cut off there at the top of the screen, but it's in that red rectangle. And it was written in reference to the church of Corinth, which is right below that rectangle, about churches that were inside of that rectangle, churches of Macedonia, he says. And he's referring probably to three churches that we know of, and they're inside this rectangle here. If we, That little red rectangle, here it is. Okay, so... You notice right there at the bottom left, church in Berea, we heard about them. Next to them, the church in Thessalonica. Keep going over to the right, uh, the church in Philippi. Very popular and well-known churches because we hear about them in the scriptures. These are places where Paul went in, shared the gospel, people got saved, became a group of believers. Those group of believers, with Paul at their head, started a church. 
And Paul, once that church got up and going, Paul left that church and went to another city. And then once he started a church there, a group of believers came together again. It wasn't just Paul standing up and preaching uh, at, at First Baptist Church of what's the next Thessalonica. It was Paul witnessing wherever he could. So people got saved. They're now an assembly of believers. They're meeting together now. They're sharing the gospel. It's just a, a very basic process. It's really nothing fancy. They're sharing the message now that, that they know. The message they receive, now they know other people need to receive it. They're sharing it. Other people are receiving it, getting saved, and the group exponentially grows. becomes a church. And if you've got a group of people, you have to have some sort of organization. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, has set down, that's why He trained, we believe, 12 men, 12 disciples, 12 apostles, sent ones, that they would be the leaders of this New Testament church. They would start assemblies of believers... They would start them with some sort of structure, uh, would have some leadership, would have some guidance as they walked through this Christian life as believers in Jesus Christ together. So we come in the middle of that process as Paul, one of the church planners, is writing to one of the churches that he planted in the town of Corinth. And he's referring to the churches in this map right here. So let's read this together in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And Paul starts out by commending some churches. In other words, he gives a little bit of an illustration, but it's true stories. And uh, you can't help but think he's, he's trying to inspire this church at Corinth as he's writing to them. But there's some commendation in there as well. Some, some encouragement, some compliments. So here we go in, in uh, chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, a reading from the King James this morning, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Those churches in the map here. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power, I bear record, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints, and this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, these are those gifts we were talking about, see that ye abound in this grace also, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient or helpful for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago, now, therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality." As it is written, he that hath gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little 
had no lack. Much, much to consider in this rich passage. Would you go to the Lord in prayer and ask, ask God with me that he would open your, your, your eyes, open your ears this morning to hear what he would have for us. Father, it's an honor to assemble together, to encourage each other, to exhort each other in your word. And Lord, as much as we enjoy the fellowship of the saints, Lord, to be encouraged and confronted and told the truth and held accountable by, just, just by the presence of each other in our, in our own lives. Lord, today we need more than that. Father, we need to hear exactly from your word what we need to do, who we need to be, and how we can draw ourselves into this fellowship of the ministering of the saints. Lord, you have brought this concept up today. Show us how we can obey. In your name I ask. Amen. The grace of Christian giving. We're, for all intents and purposes, we're just going to call it grace giving today. Okay? And as I study the Bible, I see two basic types of giving in, in the scriptures in, in Christianity. First one would be the tithe, right? Started in the Old Testament, it was 10%. God says, 10% of what you have, it belongs to me. Okay? You're going to give it back to me. And here's how you're going to give it. You're going to give it back to the, the synagogue or the, yeah, the, synagogue or the temple to, um, and now the church to help run the church, to take care of the facilities, to take care of uh, the leadership, to supply um, facilities and, and ways and tools to worship and bring people together and to, to take care of all of the workings of an actual church, if we could just fast forward it to New Testament times. That's the tithe for the operation of the church, 10%. That's, that's the minimum that's commanded by God. But there's more. And you say, oh, I knew there was going to be more. <laughs> no, there's more privilege. God has also given us a plethora of opportunity as his children to take what he has given us and to turn around and to do something wonderful with that. And in our humanity, of course, we think wonderful as in buying more things, going on more vacations, having a nicer life. But I think if we all think a little deeper than that, we understand what is truly wonderful in a walk with God is really not any of those things, but what God is doing on the inside of us and on other people. And God has given us an opportunity to be a part of what he's doing on the inside of people. So how do we do that? Well, we would call that part of this, you know, 10% is a tithe, but then there's this Christian giving, okay, this, this grace giving. And it's not specifically to any one person or any one type of thing. It comes in a myriad of ways, but it is, has an overarching umbrella of using what God has given us, whether it be um, our time. Some, for some of us, that's the most precious thing. Whether it be certain talents or spiritual gifts that God has given us that we just haven't really taken the time to cultivate like we should, or, or maybe we're not using them like we should, and we can do more with those. Or maybe it's with finances. Maybe God has blessed you with finances. Maybe God has blessed you with resources. Okay, you don't have a lot of finances, uh, but you got a lot of resources. You know how to acquire things. You know how to build things. Whatever the case may be, God has given each of us something, and if we have more than we need, we now have the ability to walk into this privilege. This is what he's talking to this, this church here about. This is a rich passage showcasing this grace 
of giving. As it, I don't know if you notice this or not, but in those 15 verses, the word grace is used often. It's four times specifically used, and then it's explained throughout the entire passage. This passage is about grace. We love that word, right? It's the word charis. It means kindness. Kindness. But if you take it a step further, when it's applied to God, it's kindness that is undeserved. Kindness that really has no reason why we would be um, receiving that type of kindness. And he says, and here we'll see this in one of the passages, yes, he has done that. He has bestowed that kindness, that grace to us. But now we get to take that grace and give it to others. We get to take the kindness we have received and share that kindness with others. And our question this morning is, what, what does that look like in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ? If maybe we could say this grace giving is kindness shown by another Christian as they freely give through the grace that has been shown to them. Kindness shown by another Christian as they freely give through the grace that has been shown to them. And we're going to move because I'm going to get to the end here and we're going to give you an opportunity to write something on that card. God doesn't confirm that in your heart by the end of the message, then I ask you, don't turn it in and save it. Pray about it. God has something for every one of us to give. Okay? And it doesn't, we only have money written on that card. That's, that's kind of for us planning purposes. But there's so much more, and you can write that on the card as well, and we'll go through that. Number one, grace giving is a testimony of the difference God makes in us. If you have a church bulletin, you're welcome to follow along with these points. There's seven. We will move quickly. There's no way we can go in detail about all of these. But these are all along the same theme. Grace giving is a testimony of the difference God makes in us. Well, let's see what he says here in verse number one. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, or we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. We just want to tell you about the grace of God that was bestowed on these churches of Macedonia. Remember Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica. We want to make known to you. We want to talk about this. Here's what we're going to talk about in verse number two. Let us just explain it a little bit. How that in a great trial of affliction, these people were under heavy affliction, heavy hardship, a great trial. It wasn't just a bad day. These people lived a very difficult life. I mean, we could guess, and the educated guess would have a lot to do with their Christianity. Uh, this is not too long after um, Pentecost when so many of the Hellenistic Jews had gathered in Jerusalem from all over. They, they became pilgrims on a regular basis. Yearly, sometimes more than, than yearly, would come to Jerusalem for the feasts and festivals. And you remember in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when God came down, He said the Comforter would come, and He did. As His men, His apostles were there to preach the Gospel, and they were given by the Holy Spirit, the Comforter coming, the gift of tongues, the, the ability to speak the Gospel in all of the languages that were present there. It wasn't less gobbledygook. It was real languages to explain the gospel to all of these Jews from all different parts, no doubt from Thessalonica, Berea, uh, Philippi, Corinth, all sorts of areas where the Jews had been scattered. They came back. They heard the gospel. And unless they had something to go back to, you found that there was a major displacement going on in Jerusalem. 
You study the book of Acts, there are thousands of people getting saved. And this is, this is so much more than you and I think in America. We get saved and we go on with life as normal. No, these people were getting saved just like in a Middle Eastern country or something. And if they weren't disowned, whatever they were doing before, that, that life is over. They started a new life. And there's a huge, in a sense, refugee camp being brewed right there in Jerusalem as thousands are getting saved. And there wasn't any other churches to go to. That was the only church. There was no other place to go. And this is totally brand new. It wasn't that it had been preached all over the world and this was the only one. That, no, this is totally brand new information. This is totally brand new for many of these people. And not only why would they go somewhere else, but many of them now had nowhere to go. They would cut ties on the life they had before. And there was great poverty there. Now, if you think about it, no jobs, no families, and all that goes with that that we enjoy in, in our town of Thomasville. Here they are in Jerusalem. These cities in Macedonia, these churches in Macedonia hear about the need as the church in Jerusalem is growing and they want to do something to meet this need. Paul is writing the church at Corinth about these churches that want to get in. They want to meet the need of these, of these other churches that now had become poor and impoverished and it was becoming a real problem in, in Jerusalem. We, we read in Acts chapter 6 where they had, to, they had to hire, not hire, they had to institute seven deacons in the church, remember? Because the number was growing so great and there was not enough money even to feed the widows. This was a major issue. So other churches that are now popping up all over the world step in also to meet this need. Paul says, let me give you a little testimony about these churches up here in Macedonia. Verse number 2, a great trial of affliction they're living in, but yet in, in the middle of this trial, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Oh, this church didn't have any money. This church didn't have any kind of ease of life or comfort that we see here at all. But in the middle of that, they had a heart to reach out and help others in the kingdom of God. Help others in other churches. The grace of God that had been shown to the churches in Macedonia, Thessalonica, uh, Philippi, Berea, as, as the missionary Paul the Apostle went through and was evangelizing, called by God, sent on a mission took three missionary journeys that we know of, starting churches with those believers. What we would call grace giving is a visible reaction to that, to the wonderful news they had received. We can't keep this to ourselves. We want to give back. We're, we're here in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, churches in these areas, there's, there's much poverty now. We want to help the brothers and sisters. We don't have much, but here's what we do have. And they assembled... This offering, I don't know what was in the offering. I don't, but it was tangible. It's a testimony of the difference God had made in their lives. And that's what grace giving is. God has done something wonderful, and I want to do something about it. I want to do something about it. Number two, grace giving is a desire to help the saints. He says in verse number three, for to their power, I bear record... Yes, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. Grace giving is a desire to help the saints. And, I mean, I would say it's, it's a desire that kind of comes with salvation. I mean, I, but I can't speak for you. Um, I know when I think of myself personally and the salvation that I have enjoyed 
and the country that I've, I've lived in, I have a desire to help other churches be started. I have a desire to help other saints that are maybe in a difficult area. I have that desire. My problem is not the desire. My problem is what Eric Ludy would call depraved indifference. I mean, it's not in my backyard, so it's easy to forget about. It's easy to go on and move to something else. But my problem is not that I don't want to do something. And I think probably many of you have the same, could we say, issue. You have that desire. You want to help. You want to do something. This church wanted to as well. And they did. And so Paul here is testifying. It's a testimony that comes about. It's not something we talk, we just say. It's something that we do and other people talk about. It's something that we are and other people that visit the church come and say about it. It's not something we spread on our own because our actions speak way louder than our words do. Grace giving is a desire, desire to help the saints. We'll keep going. As we go through the passage, verse number four, grace giving is a partnership with other believers. Read what he says there in verse number four. So he says, they were willing of themselves, right? And not just in their power, but beyond their power. They wanted to do so much. They wanted to do more than they were actually able to do. That's where their heart was. And they wanted to partner with other saints. They wanted to be a part of what God was doing and what God would do. In verse number four, this is this was how they came to us with this offering. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. These people couldn't get down to Jerusalem. These people couldn't get to wherever this gift was going. So they came to the Apostle Paul and his, his ministry team there. And they, they entreated us. They, they begged us, please, please take this. Take this. We want to be a part of what's going on. We want to be a part of what God is doing in these churches throughout the world. We want to be a part of what Jesus Christ was here to do. Please take this gift. Let us be a part of this. Do you see the humility? Do you see the desire? Do you see why we are talking about them today? We see number four in our passage that grace giving is built on self-sacrifice. Grace giving is built on self-sacrifice. He says in verse five, and this they did. They wanted to be a part of this fellowship. They wanted us to take this offering so they could participate. And this they did, not as we hoped but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, that was one of their preacher boys, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. These people were so passionate about what they, what they wanted to do that they were not just giving this offering, whatever was in this offering, but they were offering themselves whatever they could do. And Paul understood and saw that this offering, this desire to minister and to partner with saints around their world, around the Mediterranean, that was their world at that time. They weren't as mobile as we are today. Partnering with saints around the world and building churches and getting the gospel and and building up the body of Christ so that body could get the gospel out. It all works together. Their desire was built on self-sacrifice. I mean, they gave... They gave willingly. It was a testimony. They're, they're talking about it even today. They wanted to give even more than they were able. He says so much so that they were what you would consider liberal givers, even though they were poverty stricken. Grace given is built 
on self-sacrifice. Grace giving determines that giving is my top priority. It's my top priority. It is, in a sense, a hidden, invisible releasing of everything I am, everything I think I own, every direction I want to go on my own, and giving that to God, put under His leadership, to go where He wants me to go, to spend my money, to use my resources, to apply my talents and gifts where He would want all of that applied. That's what grace giving is. Grace giving is that response. It's that response. And we see that modeled by the Lord. Point number five, grace giving is modeled by God himself. You know, out of, out of anybody, and we've all met people like this that would tell us to do things that we knew they weren't doing themselves and how that just, it's like rubbing the cat's fur backwards, right? It's like, you're telling me to do something and you're not doing it yourself. And how much we hate that. You know, out of anybody that has the authority to do that, God does. I mean, he has the authority to tell us whatever he wants and we must obey. But we see over and over and over again that he wants to draw a willing people to himself. We see this in every aspect of salvation, of walking with God after salvation, that he does not just wield a sword of commandments, although he could. He led by example. So humble. The magnitude of his power and ability to command magnifies his humility. As you see this in the Lord, as we continue in verse number 7 of chapter 8. Grace giving is modeled by God Himself. Paul says, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, utterance, knowledge, diligence, in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. Let's just pause there for a second. He draws attention to the fact that God had given this church so much. He actually doesn't even mention finances, what we typically think of giving, right? He says, here's what you've been given. You're abounding in faith. You're abounding in utterance, the ability to speak. You're abounding in knowledge. I mean, you all know what you believe. You have great knowledge in the Word of God and the things of God. You're abounding in diligence. I mean, you're hard workers. You're abounding in, in love. I mean, you are a loving people. You're loving us, and we've received that. We acknowledge that of you. I mean, you in one sense, I know I've corrected a few things, you know, he, he would probably be thinking, but you in, in many senses are very gifted of God. God has given you the potential to do something awesome for his name. What are you doing with all that that he gave you? What are you doing with it? He says, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. You know, we know in chapter 9, he's going to be talking about the gift that these Corinthians would then be giving. That they made a commitment, and they need to follow through with that commitment. He's exhorting them as a brother in Christ. But here he's speaking to, I believe, grace giving. This natural response to the grace that has been given to us and to them. And it was modeled by our Lord. Look in verse number 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the kindness of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, 
that ye through his poverty might be rich. Now, I would like you to look a little deeper than the monetary side of probably what most of us went right immediately to. That though he was rich, he had lots of money, yet he became poor. For your sakes, he became poverty-stricken. That's not, we don't see that in the Gospels. I mean, Jesus wasn't about making money and living the high life, absolutely, but we don't have any indication he walked around like a poor man either. This is, this is, I don't believe that's what this is talking about. It goes so much deeper than that. And we have to think so much deeper than that, spiritually speaking. Sometimes we automatically go to money in this because that's what's important to us. And we need to realize that. When, whenever God is talking about giving and you and I automatically think money, we ought to allow that to be a little bit of a red flag. Wow, I think a lot about money. Because your life is not about money. Your life is about so much more. What has God given you and what are you and I doing with that? It was modeled by our Lord. He gave up. He didn't give up money and riches. He gave up everything. The only thing he didn't give up was who he was. You understand? That's the only thing he didn't give up. He even gave up life at one point. We understand, praise God, it couldn't hold him. Death couldn't hold him. But he was willing to give it up for you and for I. He gave up his comforts. He gave up his authority. He gave up his right to be proud about anything. He gave all that up. Why? So that you and I could have everything. He gave up everything he had so you and I could have everything. And Paul says that ye, through his poverty, might be rich. Might be rich. Surely you understand that you are rich this morning if you've been saved. If you're a child of God, you are rich. If you've received the gospel by faith, if God has even opened your eyes that you needed it, that's a wonderful thing. There's a lot of people in our town, in our nation, that don't think they need God. They don't think that. They don't think they need God. They think they can live their own life and they should live their own life and that that's the right way to be. They don't think they need him. It is the goodness of God to put you and I in a poverty state, uh, spiritually speaking, so that we would need him. So we knew we would need him. What a wonderful thing. So that we might become rich. That's the process. And now, might we be like the churches of Macedonia? I, I want to give back. God, who came and gave up everything, became poor just released everything that, that he owned, everything of himself, everything, so that I could have everything that's truly important. Now I want to give back. So you might be thinking at this time, say, okay, so now we're at that point, right? So now what do I give? How much do I give? Where, where do I give it? Well, it does speak to that a couple times in here. So let's keep going. Got two more points. They'll, they'll be uh, appropriate. You notice I didn't say quick. Grace giving is based on what you have. Look what he says here in verse number 10. And, and, and I love this because this, isn't, uh, this really removes the weight of the responsibility from me. I don't have to guilt you into this. Right? Uh, and by the way, anything that is given, whether your time, talents, treasures, whatever, none of that goes to me. So it's, it's irrelevant. Um, the, the tithe is more than enough to, to sustain your pastor. And uh, that's the way God ordained it. This is to build the kingdom of God that we're talking about here this morning. 
Grace giving is based on what you have. Here I give my advice in verse 10. For this is expedient. This is helpful for you. Who have begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. So you, you've been thinking about this for a while. You've been thinking about what you're going to do with what God has given you. You've been thinking about it a year ago. Now, therefore, verse 11, perform the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to will, you wanted to, I saw it. So there may be a performance also out of that which you have. If there be first a willing mind, it is accepted. According to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. Paul says, you had the desire, you've been thinking about this for a while. Let me just push you over the edge. Make that commitment. Make that decision that you're going to take what God has given you and you're going to get involved in the ministering of the saints. You're going to get involved in the fellowship of the gospel. Whatever that means for you. And he comes to the very end and he kind of, to me, is very freeing. He doesn't have any desire for these people to give something they don't have. They're not to go on a crime spree and do like the whole Robin Hood thing, steal from the rich so that they can give to the poor saints. Or they're not to go in debt and go take out a um, fellowship of the gospel credit card so that they can now... um, No, they're to take what God has given them. That's it. Whether it be money, whether it be possessions, whether it be gifts, whether, whatever God has and you have more than you need. In other words, whatever you don't need to sustain yourself, and you could let go of some of those things, whatever um, talents you have that you don't really need for living, why do you think God gave those to you? Well, so I could be really good at something. Okay, so enjoy the blessing of being really good. Now what? What are you going to do with that? Why has God given that to you? He said it's based on what you have. Naturally, we do come to the issue of money, and we'll be, that's kind of the main thing as a church, is we gather finances to send finances and support. Much of the world revolves around money, right? So it's not that we ignore that. And that'll be part of a commitment today that you put on that card if you, if you put something on there. But he says this, I think, you know, each, he says, it's not according in verse 12. If there be first a willing mind, he says, I know you want to do this. It's accepted. According to that a man hath, not according to that he hath not. You take the abundance of what God has given you, and you do something with it. You use it for God's kingdom. Be wise with the money that you have, by the way, so that you can give. I think some of us in this room would be honest. I have a real desire, like these Macedonians, to give and to help build God's kingdom. But, and I'm just barely making ends meet. I mean, I'm getting to the end of the... Uh, there's, there's more month left at the end of the money, right? And, and I want to do more, but I just can't. So what does that mean? That, that means you and I, if we really have that desire, ought to start doing something about that. Well, you're in luck. Tonight, we start the Bible Institute class, Biblical Finance how to live debt-free, and to be a crazy, generous giver. The Bible has a lot to say about it. I mean, debt, no doubt, we all, probably most of us, most of us have some debt, okay? It's hard to live without debt. That's not really the issue. Debt becomes a master to many of us and stops us from doing what we have in our heart. We want to give back. And there are ways to be wise with your money. There are ways to go beyond your own knowledge so that you can be a generous person. You can be involved in these things financially as well. 
Grace giving is based on what you have. So what are you going to do about that? Lastly, grace giving is based on a desire for equality. This is a really interesting concept. I don't know if you've seen this before. It's almost like spiritual socialism, <laughs> which, which we hear the word socialism. It's like, what? No, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm an American. <laughs> I'm a capitalist. <laughs> well, here we are. Grace giving is based on a desire for equality. In verse 13, For I mean not that other men be eased, and ye burdened. And he says, I, I mean not that, you know, you just give all your money so that other people can live in comfort. Not that anybody in America would ever want that. Um, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he that hath gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. Is it not, can we not agree on this, that unless we're intentional about this, you and I, our go-to reaction to having abundance is to enjoy the abundance. Whether it be you've got a little more talent than the average person. So you're going to enjoy being good at something, or you're going to enjoy the compliments that come with that, or you're going to enjoy the people looking up to you, or maybe it's that uh, you grew up in a, f- I'm just making stuff up, but you're in a family that's got a legacy and you were passed down you know, possessions and whatever, and more than the average bear, or maybe you've got a big inheritance, or you won the lottery, I don't know. Okay, but somehow you have acquired something more than the average. What is our normal go-to reaction to that enjoyment? Right? It is, me too. Oh, we got a raise at work. What's the first reaction? Probably not I can give bigger offerings, <laughs> right? Oh, I can get that new truck. <laughs> or, well, for me, it's a truck, but you know, for you, it might be something different. That's our human response. He is calling on an intentional mindset of equality. He's saying, I want you to ignore your base nature. I want you to be a grace giver. I want you to live a life that just has received grace and wants to give. Your, your hands are so free on the things of this world. Your hands are so free when it comes to yourself, your own direction, your own goals and desires. It's literally... The, the, the person that people 2,000 years from now, God would have them write about you and give testimony to somebody else. Have you ever heard of this person? They had this, this, and this, and this is what they did with it because they, they had this desire in their heart to give back to God. They had this desire to do more than they were even able to do, and it just burned, and, and we're talking about it today. We're giving testimony of it today. It's this idea in the scriptures of equality, of equality. That's our passage. Brother Banfi, um, he's a teacher at heart, and you could tell. Um, when he would back up the dump truck and start unloading, like, whoa, 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 I can't hold on to all this. I'm just like line after line after line after line. Well, he shared some of his notes with me. And so I pulled out these uh, five points that I'm going to read. Don't worry. I'm just going to read them about faith promise. We have, we have talked and mentioned faith promise. This is the vehicle that Eastside Baptist Church historically has adopted to be a part of this fellowship of the gospel. You say, well, I've never really been a part of that or I don't really know about that. And, that, and that's fine. Literally, faith promise is not a command in the Bible. It's, it's a method that we have used and it's been a successful method. 
and we don't really see a reason to change that method. Okay? Um, and would it happen in the future? I don't know. But it's a structure, and we need a structure for this. We need a structure to be able to take, we're in America, we're in a fluent society, we're not bartering in chickens and cows on the weekend, we have money. Okay? We have money, we have possessions. So whether we sell the possessions for money or whether we give the money or whatever it is, um, unless you become one of those people, and I would love that if God called you to change your address and go. So what would we do? We would then get behind you with our possessions and our money and support you and propel you forward, much like we're doing with Matt and Annalise Wilkerson, much like we're doing with uh, the ones who came before me in Antigua, Nathan and Renee Owens. They're, they're hometown missionaries from our church. And God's, God's still calling. Would not be surprised at all if God had called somebody in this room to missions. We would get behind you in that. And how would we do that? Well, unless we're going to go with you, it would be with finances, possessions, tangible things. Okay? So here's what faith promise is. Faith promise is taking those tangible things, making a commitment, first individually and then corporately, as a group, that this is what we are going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And then, because I'm part of this I, all the I's get together, this is what we're going to do with what I am giving and what you're giving and you're giving and you and you and you and all this. We're then going to look forward, what are we going to do as a team, as, a, as part of this fellowship, so that we can then reach out to churches outside of our own church and other countries and other nations, wherever the needs are, and help those saints, help those leaders in those church um, be empowered be freed up in their own lives so that they can then go out and minister the gospel effectively and share this message that we want everybody to at least have the chance to hear once. As we saw, close to three billion in our lifetime will have no choice whatsoever in that. We can have a part in that changing. We can have a part in that. Here's what faith promises. I, I, I'm just going to read what he said because I think he did it very well. Faith promise, letter A, is a gift from a grateful heart. It's a gift. I'm grateful. I want to give. Letter B, faith promise is asking the Lord through spirit-led prayer for his will, what he wants for your mission giving. Okay? Asking the Lord. Honestly asking God, God, what do you want me to give to be part of this fellowship of the gospel? What do you want me to give to missions? Letter C, faith promise is an anonymous agreement between the giver and God. Okay, I have those, I don't know where my card went, but here it is. Okay, there's, there's no place for a name on here. You say, well, I'm not even going to give a card, and, and that's fine. But at least be honest, I think we all know, when, when you make something, when you get something out of your head and on your heart, here's what you're going to do. You're going you're to fill this out. You're going you're to tear that off. You're going to keep half of it for yourself. Because we're human and we need reminders. We need accountability sometimes when things get tough. And this isn't something that we're going to keep you accountable, so you're keeping yourself accountable. You're making a decision between you and God. God, I don't want to forget about this. So you put it on this card. No name, just you. Or, um, yeah, no name, just, just an amount or what you're going to give if it's, if it's property or whatever. I don't know. Letter D. Faith promise is an opportunity to give sacrificially, demonstrating a willing and generous heart, and then to trust God's provision for our needs. The goal is faith. Walk by faith. Letter E. Faith promise is a way of strategically and systematically supporting the Great Commission. 
It's a way for us in this day and age, in this modern day and age, it's a structure that we can get behind with other churches who are doing the same thing that we're doing. And then churches that are having a faith promise or a missions giving program like this that have now money that is committed to the church on a monthly basis, we can look at the, at the numbers and see consistently um, that this is coming in. So we know that brother such and such who wants to go to the field, we can get behind that brother. He's a good brother. He, he believes right. That we can see a passion and a heart uh, to get the gospel out right there. We want to support him rather than, rather than he calls and we get them weekly calling. And uh, we say, bro, we just can't at this time. We don't have any money. We don't have any money. You say, well, there's still some money in the bank. As a church, the monies that, um, that are in the bank are supposed to be for the operating of the church. This right here is what we are giving on top of that. That's, that's our goal. I have an amount that I give monthly. Many of you have an amount that you give monthly. You've made that commitment. And I know you have because the giving comes in and it's in our missions account. We don't do anything with that but support this fellowship of the gospel we're talking about this morning. Faith promise allows churches to plan their strategy in God's mission work as members indicate on cards anonymously their promise to God for their missions giving annually, monthly, or weekly. So in practical sense, here's what this card says. I'd love for you just to go ahead and get this card out. Okay, Whether you're going to do something with it today or not. Just get that out and look at it so we're on the same page here, or on the same card. <laughs> My faith promise, it says right at the top. Independence upon God, I have purposed in my heart to give to world evangelism through this local church. The following amount. There's each week, each month, other, you can put the amount in there. I understand this is a faith commitment between me and God. I will not be billed for it. That is correct. Not only do we not know who you are, but even if we did, we wouldn't bill you for it. It's not about that. Here's my age, youth, teen, adult. Just give us a little bit of a reference point. And then you kind of continue that to this little tear-off section right here, and you write that amount, and you tear this off. I have no idea where... Okay. So here's mine. All right, so the following amount, I give mine monthly. I get paid monthly. Here's my amount. So even if you currently give to missions and you feel like that's, that's you giving out of your abundance, don't look, that's you giving out of your abundance and this is what you want to give to God, whether it be weekly, monthly, daily, or whatever this year, write that down right there, whatever it currently is, okay? Whether you've done this before or not, write that down right there. There's a pen right in the pew in front of you. Write that down. Then put your age on there, youth, teen, adult. Okay, that's not, that's not life or death right there, but do that for us if you would. And then write that amount, the same thing, kind of copy it over to my reminder. Stick that in your purse, your Bible. Take a picture of it. Stick it on your phone. I don't know, whatever you want. And then tear that off. In a minute, I'm going to ask those same ushers to come after our invitation time. Pass the plates. I haven't done that in a while, right? Pass the plates and collect those cards. And we will tally those together. We're going to do it again next week. So this is not me rushing you. Okay, but can I ask you this? If you've already been praying about this, 
If you already know the figure that God has in your heart, can I just speak to you like Paul is speaking to the Corinthians? Listen, you wanted to do this. Just do it. Make that decision. Make that commitment to God and follow through so that it's no longer just a desire in your heart. Now it's something you're actually doing. And sometimes it's just that making the decision, making the commitment. And we can just breathe after that. God, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do that, but you've given, me, you've given me an abundance in this, this, or this, and I want to be a part of this. This is what I'm going to do. Now, if there's something besides just finances that we need to do, well, obviously, we need you to come see us and let us know who you are so we can work that out with you, you know, whether you're going to donate something or give your car to a missionary. I don't know. Whatever, whatever God's laying on your heart. Think outside the box. I'm not, this, isn't, this, isn't, this is Sean's way, and you need to do it this way. This is, this is God's example here. So what is God going to do through you to proclaim his gospel throughout the world? I haven't heard of anybody in here that's getting ready to change their address yet. That would be wonderful. God calls you to do that. So what are we going to do right here? That's the question for us today. What are we going to do? How much can we do? How generous can we be? How wonderful would it be to be able to give testimony um, to each other and to um, be encouragement to other churches as we're now able to give gifts, as we're now able to really get behind those who are on the front lines of this in other countries and, and do something wonderful for them, much like you did over Christmas for the Paulies. That meant the world to them. $3,000 y'all did. That, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. That's who gets the glory from this. So whatever you're thinking about doing, whatever you're praying about doing, keep in mind, God did it first. And this is a way for you to give him the glory for what he's done for us. Would you stand with me during this time of invitation? I'm going to ask the pianist to come. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And I want to give you an opportunity if maybe you're hearing this today and you've come to realize that you don't know the Lord as Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to get saved today. We won't belabor this, but we have workers in the back that would love to share from the Scriptures how you can be saved. Would you just dismiss yourself right now from your pew, go right to the back. Say, Pastor Sean, I want to be saved. I don't know for sure that I'm saved. I want somebody to show me from the Bible how to be saved. Just head right to the back doors here. Whatever, whatever aisle you're in, just head right to the back. They'll meet you in the lobby take you someplace and show you the gospel. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. For the rest of us, Christians are praying, and I'm going to stop talking. You're asking God, God, what would you have me to do? What would you have us to do? God has an answer. Don't make it more difficult than it already is. Just let go.